0: Okay, good morning. Uh, today's Daph is daf Samach Ches. We're going to go from the third last line of Samach Zayim Amud Bay 67B. And today's shir is L'Illu Nishma's Dov Noyta Ben Chaim Shmuel. May his name, Ha'Van Aliya and may his memory be a blessing. Yeah, I just thought to start off because this is literally one of the things we're discussing. It's a very famous Rambam. Um, Obviously, as we know, the Rambam is always based on the uh, based on the, the uh, based on the Gemara. So a lot of what the Rambam discusses straight out of these Sukhya's. Sometimes he just reach, sometimes he'll take the essence of the quote or the bottom line of the halacha, or just restructure it in a way that's more uh, more manageable for us. Back to you. So, so the Rambam I want to bring is. The eight levels of tzedakah. Remember yesterday we were discussing how they tried to give tzedakah, our ukfa used to, they would put it in the, the doorpost and uh, run, uh, uh, run away so that the oni wouldn't know who was giving it to them, all these different ways. So that's what the rambam uh, that I want to bring. It's a well known rambam, but I, I think it also just puts context. I mean, I think the, the mitzvah of tzedakah as we start to see and we'll see on today's stuff is, is phenomenally great. The Rambam actually says it's the mitzvah, it's the positive commandment that Jews should be most careful with. Most, uh, uh, the language you use, I'll, I'll read it very quickly. It says, We are obligated to be more careful with the mitzvah of tzedakah, more than any other positive commandment. More than learning Torah, more than uh, shaking lulav, more you know, all these uh, special, special mitzvahs we speak about. The Rambam starts off with, Tzedakah being the mitzvah that we should be most careful about. Obviously, it's a whole she'er beyond the scope of a Davyomishir sure to go into what the significance and why, but that's, uh, that's, that's just what he starts with. So, uh, but more than that, that's how you do the mitzvah of Tzedakah. As we mentioned yesterday, you, know, you can have a person giving away millions of rands, and that's not nearly enough. Said so if they like Dimun ben Gurion, they have to be giving away billions of rands, you know, or you can have someone giving ten rand away, and as we see, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal mitzvah. And you've got to be sensitive to the embarrassment of the poor person. That's what we saw um, in the middle of uh, Amud Bey's yesterday. Um, you know, try if the person is uncomfortable with asking for tzedakah, go offer it to him. If the person's uh, uncomfortable with accepting charity, off, give it to him as a loan. Obviously, in your mind, you're never going to get the money back, but Give it to him as a load, or work out a way that he'll feel less restricted. So again, even when doing such a special mitzvah, you, you think learning Torah is hard. Perfecting our mitzvah, our uh, middos, our character to do mitzvahs, to be good people, to do it in the right way, is, uh, taking our Torah learning to the next level is is, is actually harder. I know they say uh, it's coming up to Rosh Hashanah, so this is the time when we would focus on these sort of ideas. But Yisrael Salanta says to um, To master one meter, one character trait in a way, to improve one habit or to change one habit is harder than to learn through the whole of shas. Um, okay, something to think about. But okay, so back to the Rambam. So he says, there are eight levels of tzedakah. This is that famous Rambam where he says, there are eight levels of tzedakah. So, Each one is higher than the next. What's the highest, highest level? This is someone who supports a Jew who has come into poverty. And he says, how do you do that? you uh on manzilam you give him a gift or a loan or uh, go into partnership with him or find him a job to strengthen him so that he doesn't have to ask for charity and the ultimate form of tzedakah is enabling someone to be self or independent, to be independent and not rely on charity. They're not always possible, but that's the highest level. And uh, he brings a positive to support that. Then he says, one level lower. He says, it's giving to talk in a way that you don't know who you're giving to and they don't know who they're receiving from. What's the mind of this? Is the least embarrassment. There's no... Uh, it's, it's embarrassing to receive money. It's embarrassing to have to rely on other people. And um and that's uh and therefore if you do it in this way he says uh, he says this is sharezu mitzvah lishma. this is the mitzvah in, for its sake um so what was this? and it says and obviously uh um there was a secret tam- chamber in the temple and people would go into Gizado and people would go into that chamber to take I don't know it's called the secret chamber I don't know if it's Obviously not literally a secret, but um, they would go in and put Tzedakah and going in and take Tzedakah. And you never knew who was putting in Tzedakah and who was taking Tzedakah. I think that's how it, uh, um, so you could be very, very wealthy and you could walk into that room and take Tzedakah with no embarrassment. Um, And then he says, however, if you're doing Tzedakah in this way, you've got to give it to a person. So let's say you want to give to um, the Rav of the Shul. So he, he knows who to give it to. Like a discretionary fund. A discretionary fund. Something like that. Or, or, uh, or yet I don't or one of these organizations where you don't know who you're giving to and the poor person doesn't know who they're receiving from. So that's a very high level, he says, but you've got to know that the person administering that fund is very, very reliable. Because otherwise you give your tzedakah to someone who's not going to use it wisely, then your tzedakah doesn't go to tzedakah. And so then um, a lower level than this is... You know who you're giving to. You know who you're giving to, but the poor person doesn't know who he's receiving from. That's like what we saw yesterday. Marukva used to throw the coin by the door and run away, so that, again, he knew the poor person, but the poor person did know he was receiving from. Um, and he says this is, uh, this, again, this is slightly lower than the previous way because he knows who he's giving to um i would imagine this takes away from an aspect of doing the mitzvah for the poor sake for the for the not for the for the purest reason because here you get a little bit of nachas of who you're helping when you don't know who it's going to then you just have to give the tzedakah wholeheartedly without uh, seeing the fruits of your labor maybe that's uh, maybe that's why it's more it's more that when you don't even know who you're giving to um but that's um, but interesting, he says, this is better if you don't know you can rely on uh, trust. So let's say you're giving to someone, to just, there's someone who's in charge of a trust and giving to tzedakah, but you don't know how trustworthy they are, then rather give it yourself. Just try and make sure they don't know. It says, Pachos Mizeh, one level lower than this, is that the only know who he's receiving from, but you don't know who you're giving to. That's like, I think it was also Marukva, but he used to wear the sack on his back. And anyone who was poor could walk up to the sack and take from the bag what they need and he'd be just walking forward not knowing who it, who was taking it. Okay. A lower level than this is you go up to a poor person and you give it to him before he asks. I he doesn't have to suffer the, the indignity of having to ask. Um, a lower level than this is that you give after Dhani asks. Pochos mise, a lower level than this, you give him less than is appropriate, but with a pleasant countenance, with a glad happily, you give it happily. And Pochos mise the lowest level, um Lo that you give it to the poor person in sadness. And that's the, the lowest level of tzedakah. Is giving charity resentment. with resentment, um, and then just interestingly he brings the minhag. He says, "Goodall Achachamim, how you knowest in pruta, ani kaidem tefila." The great sages used to give uh, pruta, a small amount of tzedaka to a poor person before davening. The Achachach means only then would they daven. Sheneimar says, "Ani betzedek eze ponecho, I will see your countenance, I will see your face through tzedaka." Hi, you want to come close to Hashem? You give Sadaka. And that's, I mean, uh, yeah, I can't, the, the Rambam carries on all over these, but uh, the significance of uh, having poor people over and uh, helping them and uh, the great pleasure that Hashem derives from seeing poor people supported and all these miles Okay, but let's go into our Gomorrah. So the Gomorrah says, Rabbi Abba Hoi Zuzei the third last line of Samach Zai Namib says, Rabbi Abba Hoi Zuzei Zuzai Besu, La'churei, oh, sorry, so this is where Rabbi Abba used to wrap the money in his, uh, in a cloth and throw it over his back. He used to, so that the Anim could just find him, he'd make himself available for Anim to come and take money off his back, and he used to glance to the side to check that it wasn't uh, Ramay, it wasn't uh, people stealing, uh, people who didn't need the Tzedakah. It was this poor person that Rebbe. Chanina used to send four zoos every Erev Shabbos. Once he sent it with his wife. And Asai, Omrele, the wife came in return and says, he doesn't need a tzedakah. says, my Choses, what did you see? Says He says, shomadahavikah Omrele, b'matahasai. Betley kesef, or betley zahov. He said to him, he said, I heard his family saying to him, what tablecloths should we use? to serve you on today. Should it be the gold ones or the silver ones? Rashi and Tosas both explain obviously we're not speaking about literally gold or silver tablecloths, but very fancy designed uh tablecloths. So Omar Hainu Elazor Ramoim. So he said says, Oh, this is what Rabbi mean, is that we owe a great set of gratitude to uh to scam artists to fraudsters because if not for them we would sin every day as the pastor says if the poor person calls out to Hashem you will be a sinner but with Rabbi Eloso's teaching you always kind of have a justification I don't know if he's deserving of my money you know, we we say that often. Sometimes I think we're a bit too quick to say it, you know, about beggars. Oh, they're beggars, they're going to use it for cigarettes, they're going to use it for alcohol, they're going to use it for drugs. You know, that, but that's also... Uh, that saves us because by the fact that there are these people who are scam artists, all these fancy charitable trusts, or people coming from overseas collecting money, do they really need it? Is it really a good uh, investment of my tzedakah? but they actually save us because we have a justification while we're not giving tzedakah to every single person. But tell me in Rebbe Chia Rebbe Yoshua, Ben Kolcha, I know in, uh, I think it's in Baal Basra, but the Gamora says, if you, i not going to, the apostle gives what's it? Oyset tzedakah? Oyset tzedakah v'chese di motze kavod tzedakah. I don't know the exact that password, but it basically says, um, if you, Lucky, if you're meritorious, then your tzedakah ends up with someone who's deserving of the tzedakah. If you're unworthy, then it ends up with some scam artist and you haven't really done the mitzvah. So that's what. But he says we owe a debt to these uh, scam artists, otherwise we would sin every time we justify to ourselves while we're not giving tzedakah. It could be an error, but now we have a good justification. Okay, but rib is here. Oh, just before going to the next one, uh, something else to consider is uh, how... when you want to say, look, I'm not going to give tzedakah to this person because they're. Uh, they're a uh, they, they're fraudster, they're a scam artist, they're a And um, What is the just... Um, do you have to know that they don't need the tzedakah? Or maybe on the other extreme you should know, know that they do need the tzedakah. I have which extreme should should it be leaning to before you give your tzedakah something to think about? Okay, but Tani Rabbi Chaya bar Rav Middifty, like I think many say that unless you know he's a fraudster, you have to give him tzedakah as if he's a poor person. But that's uh, something to think. Okay, but Tani Rabbi Chaya bar Rav Middifty, Rabbi Shua ben Karu ha'Omein said that Rabbi Shua ben Karu used to say, "Kolamali ma'ena mina stakah kilo aybei davar eskal chovim." Anyone who turns his eyes from tzedakah is as if he served davar zara. Tziv hakei yishemel l'chel apen yiel God yourself, lets you have in your heart a Bli Isle. A Bli Isle is a very lowly, a scoundrelous thought. Um, now, that's by the Sukkim of Tzedakah, that's where a person doesn't want to lend the money for whatever reason, but it refers to someone who doesn't want to give the charity as Bliyayil. It says, It's written by Avodah Zara, Yotza, Bene Bnei Bliyayil. If Bnei Bliyayil, those who serve Avodah go out and entice the whole town to serve Avodah But that, what do we see? It uses the same word for people who serve Avodah the same derogatory term. For those who serve Avodah Zorah as those who don't want to give tzedakah. It says, Just as there they Oived Avodah Zorah, so to someone who doesn't want to give tzedakah is Oived Avodah Zorah. Why would someone who doesn't want to give tzedakah be an Oived Avodah Zorah? I think it's along the lines of we remember, Hashem gives you your money, Hashem entrusts you with the money to give tzedakah. And if you think, well I'm not going to give tzedakah because I need to be wealthy, or what about this, what about that, then you're going to um Lose out. So Tannen Rabbanan Hamasamez Aino, v'Hamavetz v'Hametzabez Bitno, v'Hamakapeach Es Shalko. Someone who makes it look like his eyes blind or that his stomach bloated or that his legs are shriveled. Aino Yiptam in Ha'olam Adj, he does these things so that people feel sorry for him and giving charity. Aino Yaitem in Ha'olam Adj Avolidi Kachi. He won't leave the world until that literally happens to him. Um Someone who receives the but he doesn't need it. in the end he will have to, he will need to Okay now the next piece is based on to receive Magnus anim. there's a whole there's a whole lot of gifts that the Torah you know uh, and pay at the corner of the field, Leket and Shishika, the she's left behind. All these, a person has to have less than 200 zoos cash. Seems uh, 200 zoos cash. I'm not sure how you bring in their other property, because when I was learning in Babakama recently, Rashi seems to say that other properties have to learn the missions more carefully. But let's just, to keep it simple, let's say you need to have 200 zoos cash, and then you're not a poor person, so you would not be allowed to take from... uh, um, you would not be allowed to take from the charity. It says, Tanan Hassan, we learned over there, Ain as Kli tashmish. You do not obligate him to sell his house or his Kli Tashmish. You don't say to him, Oh, well, you have 150 as cash, we'll sell your house, and then you'll have enough to not be considered a poor person. Says the law, you don't make him sell his stuff. Oh, tell we learned learn to the halyam of Shemesh, be kli zahav, di Shemesh be kli keset, be kli keset Shemesh be kli na'chaishes. So someone who's using golden kalim, we'll tell him to sell the gold and use silver, and then he will have enough two hundred tzuzi. He won't have to accept the charity. And if he uses silver, tell him to sell it and use na'chaishes. So Amar's vid like Hashla, oh, be mita the shulchan, oh, be kli keset hikaris. says no, it depends what we're referring to. What do we require? If his bed and his table, you know, you get used to a bed. You don't want to sell your bed and use someone's second-hand bed. So that we don't make him sell to them. But his uh, knives and forks and cups, make him sell them so that he has enough money and he doesn't have to go on to charity. There's Maishnah, he hosts us law. Sorry, the other way around. His bed and his table, you make him sell. But his cups, you know, you don't want a second-hand cup. You don't want to say, I have to drink from a plastic cup. I'm used to glass, let him drink from glass. Says, so oh. the says, Says, well, what's the reason you're not gonna make him sell his cups and plates and buy second hand cups and plates so that he has enough cash that he doesn't need to docker to come onto the mountains and him? That's because he says he finds it repulsive. Well, even with using a second-hand bed or an old dining table, you can say, look, it's not not bearable, I can't bear it. So uh, that that answer doesn't work. Again, we're trying to resolve the contradiction. On the one hand, it seems that you're obligated to sell some of your stuff so that you don't fall into the category of someone who doesn't have 200 zoos. And on the other hand, you're not obligated to sell. So Amarab, Rava, Breida Rava, the Decaspa, Rava, the son of Rava, says we're dealing with uh, literally a silver plough. Uh, that's totally unnecessary. Some say it's not literally a silver plow, but it means something that's uh, really not essential. You know, like you get used to your cups and your cutlery and crockery, and that you can use the standard that you used to. But something that's like totally, you know, you've got this, uh, I don't know, super fancy tin opener, or super fancy uh, wine opener, or, you know, something that's not really necessary, that's like really uh, a luxury that we would make himself. Rav Papa says, no, it's not a difficulty. When do we make him not sell his stuff? That's before he's come to. we're forcing him to collect. And when do we not make him sell his stuff? That is after we make him collect. Rashi explains, if he's coming to collect for the first time, we're not going to make him sell his property so that he has enough cash and he doesn't need a doctor. Again, remember, we said someone who has 200 zuz cash doesn't need to um, come onto to tzedakah. comes along. Um, so that sort of person, he's coming to ask. We're not going to make him sell his stuff. However, someone who loses a someone who's already taken, and he didn't deserve. He had 250, he had 205, he had 210 um, Zuz, and, and he went and he took Matas and so now we want him to pay them back. We will sell his stuff so that he pays it back, because he took it undeservingly. Tosos isn't happy with Rashi, but let's go on. Next, Mishnah. It says, If you have a or, an, a young orphan girl whose mother or brother are marrying her off, with her permission, and they write her a, of a dowry of 100 or 50, when she grows up, she can take the amount that she deserves. If her dowry should have been much bigger than that, even though she accepted it, she can still get more when she grows up. If the father has already married off one of his daughters, Then you give the second daughter. Okay, this is, we're trying to work out how much of the dowry be after the father's death. So if you already married off one of his daughters, Rabbi Yehuda says you give the same dowry to the second daughter that you marry from the estate that he's marrying off. Because most likely he would want to give the Daughter, he—that's—he's he, most likely going to give his daughters the same dowry. The chachomim say, "Pamim she adam ani oy baani elo no. The say, "No. Sometimes a person is poor and they become wealthy, or the other way around—they wealthy and they become poor. So you can't say give the same amount from the estate as the first daughter. The father could be in a different financial state, a financial." Uh, Situation by the time the second wedding comes around. So, therefore, you evaluate his assets and you give her based on that. Right? She explains. Um, let's go on. Omar Shmuel, Le Shmuel says when it comes to the dowry, he says, Shamin B'av, you evaluate the father. And you try work out how generous he was. What's he likely to have? Again, the father is deceased, he's got an estate. We know we pay part of the dowry from the estate. How much? How much of the estate do you give for the dowry? And how much do you leave for the sons? So you try, Shmuel says, you try work out what the father would have wanted. Okay. they challenge this. It says we say that the daughters are Nizon and Misparnais. Nizon sounds like supported, and Misparnais is given a dowry from the assets of the father. You don't say, well, if your father was alive, he would have given you X. Rather, use, you check out the estate and you give her a set amount from the estate, as you'll see, probably 10% of the estate. Now, my love. So we see, Yom yeah, Alaf Parasabala must be referring to the dowry. And it says, well, "It says, don't try work out what the father would have given, just calculate a fair amount from the estate. It says, oh, says No, it's referring to her Parnosa, the amount that brothers are obligated to give their sister but the Mishnah said Nizon and Meparnes, and Parnosa. Nizon is support, and Parnosa must be referring to something else. It can't also be referring to supporting the daughters from the estate. He says, My love, Ahaz Parnosa, Sabal, Parnosa, must be referring to the, um, the Parnosa, must be referring to the dowry, and the the one must be referring to the dowry, and the other phrase must be referring to her support. So, look, more answer, No, both are actually referring to supporting the daughter. The one, Mezoinus, would be referring to food and drink, and Parnosa would be referring to clothes, etc. So, so it seems, so Shmuel's teaching stands. Again, Shmuel says that for Parnasa, you try work out what the father would have wanted to give. It says, Tnan, but look at our Mishnah. It says, The Chachomim say, say, Sometimes a person will be, when discussing, the Mishnah's, this is our Mishnah, discussing how much of the dowry to give. So it says, The Chachomim said, the, sometimes You don't give the same amount as you gave the first daughter because sometimes a person becomes more wealthy or sometimes a person becomes more poor. So he says, so what do you do? You calculate the assets. Now, mikhla, mikhla, says, Sorry, what do you mean when you say he becomes poor, becomes wealthy? He says, if you want to tell me that, it means literally he becomes poorer, are his assets. the estate is smaller or he becomes more wealthy. the Tanakhama That implies that the Tanakhama is... Home. Even if he was wealthy and he becomes poor, you give the same amount. He doesn't have that money. Again, what did Reb Yehuda the Tanakhama say? He said that whatever the father gave the first daughter, you give from the estate. We give the, from the estate the second daughter. <coughs> now, if we literally mean he became wealthy and then he became poor, he's not going to be able to give the same dowry as he gave. So and that can't be what Rebbe you know I means. So, he Oni b'das, ashir osir Badas. It must be, what he means is he became more generous or more stingy. Uk'tani shamines anafasim noisim lo. And then the Mishnah teachers... You evaluate the assets and you give her. See, we don't go after the father's intent. Again, Rabbi Huda came along and said, you, well, look what he gave the first one. Give the second one. Are oh, we going to try and work out what the father wanted to give his daughter? Whereas the child came along and said, no, sometimes he's more generous, sometimes he's more stingy. Depending where he is in life, that changes. Ignore that. Give her a fair amount from the estate. So again, that's a challenge on Shmuel, who said that you give, for the Parnosa, you try to work out what the father would have given. The will come along and say, no, you give him, you give her a fair amount from this estate, which you have to do Shmuel. That's a rejection of Shmuel. So the Moral says, no, Huda, to Amak Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Aimerim he a the He says, no, Shmuel paskins like Rabbi Yehuda, who says that if you already married off his one daughter, you give the second daughter the same as the first daughter. Uh, You work out what the Father would have wanted. Well then just say, the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. Why say, why say, why does Shmuel say, for the dowry you evaluate the Father? Just say, the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. And we know that's what he means. He says, no. He says, no. He says, no. He says, no. He says, no, because if he would have said now a lot was like Rebbe Yehuda, I might have thought that it's where he's already married off one of his daughters. So it's very clear how he holds regarding what the dowry should be. But maybe if he hasn't married off a daughter, then you wouldn't rely on umdana. He says, "Kamash shmalhan, that's what Shmul coming to teach us. Tamid Rebbe Yehuda, that's we go after umdana, we evaluate. He says, lojna is lojna It doesn't matter whether... He's already married off a daughter or not. And the reason that it teaches if he's already married off a daughter is to show us how far the rabbis go. Even though he's already married off his one daughter, and therefore we know exactly how he's thinking what's considered a fair dowry, and he would very, very, very likely give the exact same dowry to his second daughter, we don't go after umdana. Again, as, the Rabbi, as we explained the Mishnah, because they hold people's change. At one point in his life, he's more generous. At another point in his life, he's more stingy. Um, maybe, you know, people's philosophies change. His first philosophy was, let me set my children up with as much wealth as I can, and it's the best way for them to come out good. And then he'll change his mind and say, you know what? Actually, it's better if I make my children work for their wealth, or whatever his motivation is. He changes, and therefore we can't rely on that. Very interesting. What do we see from your um, own? obviously, they're different levels. When we're trying to work out what would you have done, it, sometimes it's much more clearer. We have examples of where you've acted in this, of where you've been put in a similar scenario, and how have you reacted? So he's already married off his daughter, or he's already married off a few of his children. He's already done X then we have quite a solid foundation what to base our umdana off. Sometimes we have a very weak umdana. Well, he used to give his friends nice wedding presents and he used to give his uh, good, you know, then we're trying to, oh, so if he would give his friends such good wedding presents, what would he give as a dowry for his daughter, you know? Again, we're trying to work out how generous he is, but a lot lot less uh, accurate than if we have a precedent. So, something to think about, what sort of, how strong does the umtana have to be? I think it's the based in. Yeah. The umtan is the based in working out what would the father have given as the dowry. Can we're dealing with a case where the father is deceased, so now it's on the estate to pay a dowry. So how much do we take from the estate? So according to Shmuel, and he's basing that on Rebbe Yehuda, you... Try and work out what the father would have given. nothing to do with the brothers. Nothing to do with the brothers, no. Nothing to do with the brothers. Well, except that you're taking their Yerusha. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, saying, uh, yeah, obviously, so obviously we wouldn't so trust them. This no, obviously we wouldn't trust them. Yeah. Interesting, according to the Chachamim, as we're going to see later on, it seems it would almost be a set amount, 10%. Yeah. 10% of the estate goes to the Tauri. Okay, but we'll see that a bit further down the page. Um, Amalei, but yeah, again, this is all in the opinion that you follow Um, Amalei Rava, the Amalei Rava the Rab Chizda. Darushin and Mishmeh, Alacha Reb Yehuda. Amalei, hey Rava, call Ki Hani Milim Aliyot So Mishmi. Rava, answer from Can we expound, say publicly in your name that Allah is like Reb Yehuda? I bet you got after umdana. So he says, yeah, may be Hashem's will that many such wonderful statements are said in my name. So, this implies that Ravah wanted to do pasken like Rabbi Gizda. I think that Robber really said this for a hard time here, Rabbi. We learned in a break, the Rebbe says, A daughter who's being supported by the brothers, takes a tenth of the assets as her dowry. It says, for Omma, like and robber says, that nah is like Rebbe. Now wait, rover just wanted to do Pascal like Rabbi Chizidah, oh, that loch is like Rebbe, you go after Umdinah, you try and work out what the father would have wanted to give. But now we just see Rabbi saying, that nah is like Rebbe, that, you go after 10%. He like, says, No, it depends. Are we able to evaluate? As I said, sometimes we have no precedence, no way to work out what would the father have given us his dowry. We don't know him. Maybe he lived in another country. We don't know how he behaved financially. So we don't have an dinner, So there you give 10%. But where you have a where Bayes didn't have a way to evaluate, then we would go after umdina. So this is actually logical because Rab Adabar Abba said there was a case where Rebbe gave one twelfth of the assets, which seems to contradict the earlier teaching of Rebi, which was one tenth of the assets. Must be, it must be that yeah. Even Rebbe depends if we could do umdina, if we can evaluate the father, then that's what we will base it on. If we can't, then we would um, then we would give ten percent. Uh, now we're going to go back to a statement that we already mentioned. Says Rebbe comes along and says, If you have a daughter who's sustained by the brothers. Again, remember, one of the tenai of the ksuba, should have mentioned this earlier, is that the daughter is sustained from the estate. That's uh, what we called that earlier on in the Masechta, Tsubas Bini The female Tsubai, the daughters from the husband and the wife, are sustained from the estate. So, and not only that, they're given a dowry from the estate. As we'll see soon this, uh, over the page, there's a difference between the two, between the sustenance and the dowry in how we take, deduct them from the estate. But, um, but a daughter who's sustained from the estate also, um, as Rebbe says, gets a tenth of the assets for her dowry. So they asked Rebbe, according to your opinion, someone who has ten daughters, the son's not going to get anything. If he has ten daughters, and now he's left the estate, they're each going to get ten percent. The poor sons aren't going to get any Arusha. So they get ten okay. percent of the original value. The but so, so that's what, the, that's what they're in Rebbe. They say, Rebbe, this doesn't make sense. Which actually, as, I mean, we're going to answer no. But if you think about it, it also makes sense. Let's say a father had a good estate. He marries off his one daughter. The wedding and everything takes a good chunk out of his estate. Goes marries off his second daughter. He's not going to do the exact same as the first daughter because now his estate is... Uh, He's uh, not as wealthy. Married of five daughters, coming to marry of the sixth daughter. He's not as wealthy as he was. So 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 that's but that's they were asking no, No this is what I was saying. The first daughter takes a ten ten percent. The second daughter comes along and takes ten percent from what's left. The third daughter comes along and takes ten percent from what's left. So it's only 10% of the remaining estate. And then he says, and then all the daughters split it. So once you've taken 10% off, 10% off, 10% off, 10% and kind of put it in a pool, this is what it sounds like, put it in a basket, the, the 10 daughters then each take 10% from that basket. the morning and is called, He says, um, each one takes their 10% i.e., says that doesn't make sense. When the first daughter is going to get married, we're assuming that the father would give about 10% to her. When the second daughter is going to come and get married, we assume that the father is going to give 10% to her. When the third daughter comes, 10% to her. Not likely that the father is going to think and say, okay, well, this is my property. I have 10 daughters. I'll give equally distribute. X amount of my property, I think it works out to be about uh, 65% of my property, equally distribute 65% of my property amongst my daughters. He's going to marry off the first daughter with her 10%. And then when the second daughter comes, he'll calculate what 10% do they have. So it should be that each daughter is getting a smaller and a smaller chunk of the estate. So no, this is what it's saying. If they all come in to get married at the same time, then they distribute it evenly. Otherwise, you're right. The first daughter who comes to get married, let's say the father dies and he leaves nine young daughters. So the ones 20 she gets married, take 10% from this, estate for her. Two years later, the next daughter is ready to get married. You take 10% of what's left. If all his daughters came at once, then you would take. Again, you would work it out, the 10% of 10% of 10% of 10% 10 for each one, and then you'd put it in a pool and split it equally amongst them. This is a support for Rav who said, If they all come to get married at once, they take one-tenth. What you're saying, the dowry is now going to be 1% of the estate. So They take their 10% together. Next point. When the daughters become proper adults. Remember, there's three stages. There's katana. Nara, Nara is an adult, but for many halakha, uh, she's still in the reshus of her father or father's estate. And then a borgeres, a fully fledged adult. So if she became a borgeres or she got married, either one, she loses her mezonis from the estate, but she still gets her dowry. Different that rebbi's opinion. No, a Bulgaris also loses her panasa hen So what should the girl do? She has a good dowry from her father's estate. She realizes she's about to turn 12 and a half. And she's going to lose her dowry. She says, yeah, hire a husband. I put, she must do something to increase her dowry or something like that. To make someone marry her so that she can get her dowry. Rabbi Nachman said that Huna told me the halacha is like Rebbe. Rabbi Robert, Robert Chandra says, ima This is our Mishnah. This a, 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 a Yisoyme whose mother or brother married her off with her consent. And they wrote her a hundred or fifty zuz dowry, which is much smaller than it was supposed to be. She is able to Take when she grows older what she should have. Received. I, As a young girl, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old being married off, she doesn't realize that she should have asked for a bigger dowry. When I mean, she's a bit older, she realizes she can go back. But now we're making a, dedu- a deduction on the mission. time the reason is because she got married when she was a minor. And you can't expect her to know, and therefore we don't view her acceptance of the dowry of waiving her out. But we assume that an adult girl that is considered waived, our Mishnah seems to imply that a, a Bulgarian loses, does lose it. Our Mishnah seems to assume that a Bulgarian does learn. Now, interestingly enough, let's just, um, we've discussed a bit about, remember who, who compiled the Mishnah? Rabbi. Rabbi Yehuda, Nasi Rabbi. One of the things he did is he put in one of the ways he tells us how he thinks we should pass him is by, the anon, by putting opinion as an anonymous opinion. If the opinion is the anonymous opinion, Rebbe's is telling us that's how you should task him. So our Mishnah, the anonymous opinion, is like Rebbe Shimon Ben Elazar That once a girl hits 12 and a half, and she hasn't yet taken her dowry, or put in an official... Uh, What's it, Lodged an official uh, right. claim on her dowry. That says that she's waived it. She said, "I don't need it anymore." Uh, but one second, sh- one second. Now, it's um, a shelf. Um, But which is interesting because who argues on Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar? Rabbi himself. Rabbi is the one who says she always gets a dowry. So we must. So someone is. Oh, we must. So that's an interesting question here. We have Rabbi putting a Stam Mishnah not in accordance with his own opinion. which So, so yeah, either you would have to answer maybe Rebbe retracted or something like that. But it's just the interesting uh, dynamic at play here how it works. Look, once in a while Rebbe took a Mishnah as it was known already and therefore he left it as it is. But it is a little bit of a question. But either way... We seem to say that Stab Mishnah is like Rabbi Shimon So that's how we should pass. So how can you come along and tell me? How can uh, Rabbi Nathan come along and say the halacha is like Rabbi? So the Gemara says, Loi No, the difference is, did she protest or not? I, did she lodge a, claim, lodge a claim or not? If she protests, well then she always has the right to come in. She's saying, what, if she, what's the thing here? Is when she accepts to get married with a much lower dowry, or she turns 12 and a half and she hasn't put in a claim for a dowry, we're saying she waives it. She doesn't care about it anymore. She's saying, I'm not going to bother taking it. So, therefore, she lodges in a complaint, she says at the time of wedding, she says, Look, I'm getting married, I don't have time to deal with it now. But this that you're only giving me 50. Uh fifty Scholin for my dowry, fifty zoos for my dowry, that's not, not enough. So now she's told she's not waving the her eyes to her dowry. She's just not dealing with it now, so that would be fine. And hachanami mistobre, this is logical. De im, kain, rebi yad rebi, otherwise you have a contradiction between Rebi, two of Rebbe's statements. The tanya rebi oimim, basa nizoynes mina achin, noitles isun ochosim. Rebi said that a daughter who's still being sustained by the brothers gets 10% of the assets. Nizoynes incha, ina nizoynes law implies that if she is getting sustained, then she gets it. If not, then she would not. Now remember, what age is a girl supported from the estate? until she's 12 and a half, until she's an ara. So, the earlier has said that a daughter, according to Rebbe, she can claim her dowry even when she's a vulgaris. But according to this teaching of Rebbe, she cannot claim her dowry if she is not being supported. I want she's 12 and a half. So, it's conclusive, seems to be that, conclusively, it is that. It depends whether she's protested or not. So you're right. Generally, without any added information, if an adult girl accepts a dowry for any amount, or she becomes a bulgaris and she doesn't, where they're stopping to give her a remember the condition in the civil will support, the state will support her until she becomes either married or bulgaris. so then she loses her claim on the dowry. If she's if she protests, then it's fine. said to "Rav um, said in your name. If she becomes a Bulgarian or she becomes an adult, she does not need to complain. But if she becomes a Bulgarian and married, then she would need to lodge a claim." says Umi, Allah Rava the Drava really say this. Ay, si, be, roba, Up above Rava challenged Rav Nachman saying, Yesoma, I the case from Al Mishnah that only if she's a katana she can reclaim her the rest of her dowry without a without a without an official claim at the time. But again that's because a katana, a managir can't you, you never assume that she waived her money, you just assume that she doesn't have the mental capability to wave her rights. She doesn't know about it. She doesn't have, she doesn't, so she can't even, even if she does know about it, she can't wave her out. She doesn't have that mental, uh, we don't give her the mental uh, ability to do that um, attribute to this. So, so Rava seemed to, and then Bashani La and then we answered that it makes a difference between a machah or not. So, on one hand, you're telling me, according to Rava, that she would. Not um, that she does not need to make a protest, but from the sugya above, Rova seemed to agree that she would need to make a protest. So, loo kashiya, loo komitza minayu, loo komitza zane minayu. says, no, we're adding in another condition. What happens if the brothers are happily supporting her or not? You're right. The brothers don't have to support her once she's 12 and a half. But what happens if they are? So then she wouldn't have to put in a claim for her dowry because she assumes they're also going to give her a dowry. However, if the brothers have told her, you know, you're now 12 and a half, we're stopping to give you your zonas. She has to think, oh wait, they also want to stop giving her her dowry. says, Rav Huna says in the name of Rav that the Parnosa is not like a the conditions of the Tsuba are. Oh, so now this is interesting, because remember we've said both the this is this is what I mentioned earlier, but both the dowry and her right to sustenance, to being supported, are coming from the father's estate. But we're saying the dowry does not have the same status as the conditions of the ksuba. I as, as one of the stipulations in the Tsuba. So now the Gemara is going to try and find So what difference does that make? At the end of the day, it's both support from the estate. So, what you mean. so, first suggestion, it says, My ain't a What does it mean that it's not a kinaik, a, a, a condition in the ksuba, one of the clauses of the ksuba? It says, par nosa mashabdi, Maybe you'll say that her dowry she can sell from mishabdi, and if it's a clause in the ksuba, she can't sell from mishabdi. What does that mean? Mishabdi means if the brothers sold some of the estate. And they were supposed to support the daughter and give her a dowry of the estate, but they sold some of it. So if it's the parnosa which is not a condition of the tsuba, she can go to the lekuchos, the people that the land was sold to, and take it back from them. She had a right to the dowry on the estate, from the estate before the brother sold it. Whereas if it's a condition of the ksuba, I like Azoulas, then she could not. He says that can't be what he's coming to teach us. That's such an obvious psack. Everyone keeps it. It happens every second day. I, he's saying, Rafa Winner's saying that can't be. Um, it can't be what sorry, the Gomorrah is saying can't be what Ravkun is coming to teach us because it was a way too well known Jinn. So it must be the ilu gabe, gabe, Lo Yeah. yeah. Must be that telling us that no. The Parnosa, the dowry she can collect from movables. However, the snake Suba, like her food, etc., she can only collect from land. She says, "Larebi, Idi idim mikviv kavey." But no, because according to Rebi, both she can collect from a tatalim. The tanya, as we learned in a brisa, echad nuchasim sheish lemachrayos veechad nuchasim sheish lemachrayos moitzin n'mazon a ishul The very Rebi, Rebi says, whether it's nuchasim sheish lemachrayos land or whether it's Metatli movable, whether it's eme machrayos immovables, you the, you can take some of it to make sure to provide for the wife and the daughters, according to Rebi. So again, what difference does it make by telling me that the dowry is not considered one of the tanait subha clauses in the ksubah? So he says, look at tanya, it must be so elamai panosa, ain't subah, look at the tanya, it must be like the following price. If a man says, I do not want my daughters supported from my estate, we do not listen, in, listen to him. If he says, I do not want him to get a dowry from my assets, show him no we do listen to him. Because the parnos is not like a condition in the ksuba, clause in the ksuba. Amazingly, the clause in the ksuba gives the, is an obligation that the husband accepted upon himself when he got married to this woman. So now her daughters from him, must be sustained from the estate. And that's an obligation he already incurred, so you can't brush him off. The dowry, the dowry is not good. Like, remember, the dowry is us trying to work out does the what would the father give as a dowry. Either we go after umdana, or the other opinion is we say he'd give around 10% of his assets and that's what we give him. But what, again, what are we doing? We're assuming the father wants to give his daughter a dowry. Therefore, if the father told us he does not want to give his daughter dowry, well, then we wouldn't take that from the estate. Okay, and that's the difference between why. That's, that's, the, that's what we mean when we say that the dowry is not a knaik suba. It's not an obligation on the father. It's something that he chooses to do. And therefore, if he tells us not to, we take it, we take it for granted that he wants to. But if he tells us not to, then we won't extract it. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.